0: Well, good morning church. Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. I'm glad you're here. We're back in Matthew this morning. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And the title of my message today is God's unique plan from Matthew 9:14 through 18. I actually don't have a PowerPoint this morning, so... Anyway, Matthew nine fourteen through 18 God's unique plan. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading in the proclamation of His Word. I guess as a little boy, as, well, not little, but 9, 10, 11-year-old kid, 13, I was a little weird because a lot of my heroes were preachers even back then. There was an evangelist named Freddie Gage. Freddie Gage had come to Christ off the streets of uh, of uh, a town in Texas and uh, lived the street life. and uh, And after he came to Christ, he kind of spent much of his young life after that proclaiming the gospel to those who were living on the streets. The title of his autobiography was called Pulpit in the Shadows. And I think I must have read that autobiography about ten times when I was young. Um, I also admired Billy Graham. Um, I, uh, I still admire him. When I first started preaching I would imitate Billy Graham. I thought, you've got to have an example. So Billy Graham was the best preacher that I had seen up until that time. And so I imitated him. As a young college student in my first pastorate in, uh, in the big town, well, not even the, in the rural, rural facts in Oklahoma, if you can imagine it. If you think facts is rural, you ought to get to Antioch, where I pastored. But anyway, uh, in that small congregation, I would imitate Billy Graham the way he preached. Now, Billy Graham preached to tens of thousands, um, and, uh, and I was preaching to a very small congregation. And I would open it up and I'd say, you're not here by accident. You have a divine appointment with God. God has brought you here to change your life and meet with you and speak to you today. And that's how I'd open my sermons uh, when I was 20 years old. And at the end of my sermons, I'd always close with the public invitation. And I would say, Jesus publicly died for you. And he calls you to publicly confess him before men. Don't be ashamed of Jesus today if you need to get right with God. Get up from where you're sitting and come and make your way to the front. And I would do that you know, week after week uh, when I first began preaching. Now Billy was a good example for me to follow. But I quickly discovered Bob Ray was not Billy Graham. The thousands that responded to the invitations that he gave at his uh, rallies, at, at his events... We're staying away in droves as I preached. Uh, So I had to discover and become the preacher that God was calling Bob Ray to be. God did not want Bob Ray to be Billy Graham. God did not want Billy Graham to be Bob Ray either, but that's another question. But anyway, God only made one Billy Graham. God only made one Bob Ray. God only made one you and one me. And he wants us to be whom He has made us to be as we are filled with His Spirit and walk with Him. Yes, God only made one you. You're to, you are to seek to pattern your life after others who have been faithful in following Jesus. But there comes a time when God wants to work through your uniqueness and your giftedness and how He has made you and how He has redeemed the kind of person that He redeemed you to be. There are ways that God wants to work through you and me that are unique to us individually there are people that you can talk to that you can reach that will never listen to me they wouldn't listen to me first of all they might not listen to me just because I'm a preacher now I guess you kinda like preachers cuz you're here today but there are people in this world that don't like preachers and that don't have any time for them but if you work with them and work beside them and they know you your life from day to day those are people that maybe you can talk to that I could never talk to. And so there are ways that God wants to work through you that are unique to you. Also, I think there's a uniqueness to each body of believers. There's only one body of believers like East Madison Baptist Church. Yes, we are to learn from other bodies how to witness and minister and glorify God. But there are things that God wants to do through East Madison that are different than he wants to do through other bodies of believers. And so part of our task as brothers and sisters here is to discover how God specifically wants to work through us to carry out his great commission and to glorify his name. Jesus' ministry was something different than anything the people of Israel had ever experienced. It was unique and one of a kind. Jesus was conducting his ministry in ways that no others had conducted their ministry. He was teaching in ways that nobody else had taught. He was a great contrast to the traditional and formal and ritualistic practice of the Pharisees and the leaders who actually were religious but didn't really walk with God. But Jesus also was a contrast in a a different way than John the Baptist. Now we all know John called God called John and he placed him to be the forerunner of Jesus. But if you would look at Jesus' ministry and compare it to John's ministry, they would not be alike. They would be different. Because John was preparing the way for Jesus and Jesus had a different... He, he built on John's ministry, but it was different than what God had called John to do. Uh, John lived in the desert and he ate locust and honey. And uh, he avoided wine, you know, he was, uh, Nazarite vows, you know, probably never cut his hair. And so, so he probably avoided uh, even any kind of uh, contact with grape juice uh, as we read the Old Testament about the Nazarites. He lived aesthetically, he lived a, a simple life. And his followers imitated his lifestyle. However, being around Jesus was a lot different. It was exciting and joyful and some days like one big party. People were constantly being freed from demons and healed of diseases. Sinful people would meet Jesus. Very sinful people, who, uh, prostitutes and tax collectors who were considered the very bottom of, of uh, the society. They would meet Jesus and begin to follow him. And sometimes after they began to follow him, they would would throw huge parties and invite all their friends to follow Jesus, people just like them. And Jesus was completely comfortable at these parties. So in the passage we read this morning, Jesus was questioned by the disciples of John the Baptist about the way he was carrying out his mission and conducting his work. From the passage of Scripture we read from uh, from Matthew 9 this morning, we see this specific truth, that believers are to seek to allow God's Holy Spirit to lead them specifically as they carry out the work that He's called them to do. Believers seek to allow God's Holy Spirit to lead them specifically as they carry out the work that He's called them to do. Jesus was conducting a ministry like the Israelites had never seen. He taught as one with authority. We read in the in the Gospel of Matthew. He didn't have to quote a bunch of sources to uh, to to uh, prove his point. He would say, "This is what this means. This is what God says." Uh, he would say, "This is what I say. I say to you," and claim his own specific authority. Um, Jesus uh, made specific claims about who he was and what he was about. In Matthew seven. Jesus claimed that he would actually be their judge. And he claimed that they would be judged in how they responded to him. As we read the end of Matthew chapter 7. Uh, Jesus uh, healed lepers and he freed demon possessed people by his power. He calmed storms. He would say to the, to the nature, be still. And the wind would stop blowing and the waves would stop, stop waving. If that is, is, is even the right word. Um, Jesus forgave sins and called sinful outcasts like Matthew to follow him. And he went to parties where people, in, or the invited people, were not religious people, but the people who seemed to be open sinners. And he said he came to call right, the not, not the righteous, but sinners to repent. Now, Really, there are no righteous people, uh, but there are some who think they're righteous. And if you think you're righteous, you surely don't need a savior, which Jesus came to be. Jesus went to sinners who knew they were sinners and offered them salvation in life. And he conducted a totally unconventional type of work and did not carry out the traditions of the religious. They were always on Jesus because he didn't do what they thought he should do in carrying out their traditions. It wasn't the word of God, it was these traditions that they developed. Now John the Baptist, Jesus' predecessor and follower, Jesus' predecessor and forerunner, he had followers who wanted to know why Jesus didn't carry out these traditions. Why do the Pharisees uh, and the disciples of the Pharisees and the disciples of John the Baptist fast? And why didn't Jesus fast? Now, John was in prison, and his followers had probably continued uh, the practice of regular fasting. Maybe they, fasted, uh, maybe they fasted in the beginning for a specific reason, but they kind of just continued this. I'm not even sure they knew why they continued uh, this tradition, but they, they fasted. Maybe as a spiritual discipline, maybe as a sorrowful sin, maybe just as a ritual that they were used to doing. Um, You know, people do things, and sometimes they don't even know why they do them. Um, Jesus, however, taught uh, about the kingdom of God and called people to follow him, and he didn't emphasize fasting. Now, he wasn't against fasting. He didn't emphasize it. And John's disciples wanted to know why. Why don't you talk about fasting? Why don't you fast? And Jesus' answer was straightforward and simple. Do wedding guests mourn when the bridegroom is still with them? The biggest event in the lives of the people of that day was a wedding. Still a pretty big event in most of our lives. Uh, My wedding and Carl's wedding, it was kind of simple. We had cake and ice cream and a reception. It lasted a few hours. But it didn't last a week. The weddings of those people lasted a week. Now, my kids had more elaborate weddings than I did because, I don't know why, weddings are a lot more elaborate than they used to be. And we, we, had, uh, we fed people and did all that kind of thing. But they still only lasted just just a, you know six, seven hours. The, the weddings of Jesus' day lasted a week. The bridegroom would, uh, would be heading toward his home. He would bring the bride with him. And the guests... Whoever wanted to come, whoever it was, open to all. Uh, in a party paid for by the bridegroom's family, would hang around his house and party for one week. Now that'd be pretty good if you didn't have to pay for any of that stuff, right? Um, everything needed was provided by for the guests at the party, and so Jesus said, as long as the bridegroom was present, the guests party hearty. They don't stop partying until the bridegroom leaves. They don't weep and mourn and fast. And Jesus said, I'm the bridegroom and I'm among the guests. Now there's an underlying theme here uh, in this scripture that comes from the Old Testament. We don't want to miss it. Jesus is making a statement about himself as the bridegroom of the church, as the bridegroom of of the people of God, of, of the bridegroom of Israel. In the Old Testament, the bridegroom metaphor was simply applied to God. And Jews sometimes used it, as D.A. Carson said, of marriage in connection with the Messiah's coming or the mes- or with the Messianic banquet. Thus, Jesus' answer was implicitly Christological. He was claiming to be the Messiah, the Christ. Jesus himself is the Messianic bridegroom. And the Messianic age has dawned because Jesus is here. So Jesus says people don't, people don't stop partying until the bridegroom leaves. Now Jesus did say there will come a day when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. And that's the period that we just, we just uh, remembered uh, in the church calendar. The days of Jesus' suffering and his crucifixion would come. And then the guests, his followers, would mourn and fast. But his followers, the wedding guests, at that time were in the presence of the bridegroom, and they weren't going to fast as long as the bridegroom was around. And I think, I think most we ought to we ought to think about this a little. Yes, there are times of sorrow and mourning uh, that maybe we should fast as we go through and grow as believers. But I believe most of the time for the believer should be times of rejoicing and happiness and joy. A continually glooming Christian shouldn't, shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen that you're always unhappy. Uh, we're in the presence of the Lord Jesus. He, he is the bridegroom of his church. He has forgiven us. He lives in us. He guides us. He helps us day by day. He has saved us. He has conquered death, never to die again. And we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. So we should be gloomy, basically. Well, Jesus used some other metaphors here. He said, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Now, what's Jesus trying to tell John's disciples, those who ask him this question? Jesus is saying, basically, John had a unique and a God-ordained calling and ministry. He had prepared the people of Israel for my coming. Um, In fact, some of the followers of Jesus, as you read the scripture, were before they followed Jesus, were followers of John, were disciples of John. But Jesus was emphasizing something, that he was not John, And his call is not John's call. Uh, Jesus is saying, don't force what God has called me to do into John's ministry mold. He said, you don't put a piece of of new cloth on an old garment. Uh, Because if you put a piece of new cloth, and cloth in that day was spun and woven, but uh, new cloth, most of it shrinks. Most of our garments we wear today most of them are kind of pre-shrunk, you know. Even the jeans you buy, you remember when you were younger? I remember when I was younger, you'd buy, you'd buy some Levi's if you had enough money to buy Levi's in those days because they were, they were more pricey. And so when I got enough money, my dad didn't buy them for me, so I bought them myself. But you'd always have to buy them a little big because when you washed them, they shrunk. And if you bought them too small, you couldn't wear them after you bought them. And that's the way new, a new piece of cloth is like that. If you put a new piece of cloth onto an old garment, that piece of cloth that has not been shrunk as it wears, if it ever gets wet, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to shrink and it's going gonna, it's gonna to tear what you intended to patch the new garment with. You'll, you'll just make another hole that's worse than the one you made. And so Jesus was saying, if he try to add John's ways and methods to my calling, it won't work. John's ministry was God's unique calling upon John the Baptist. And, and so Jesus said, yes, John's ministry was valid, it was God-ordained, but it's not what God has called me to do. Then Jesus talked about wine. He said, you can't, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. New wine has to go into new wineskins. Now, Wine skins were the skins of animals, like sheep, a goat. After the animal was killed, they would take its skins, they would get rid of all the external kind of material that was connected to the skins, and they would tan it. They would sew it together. And then they would put grape juice in it, and the grape juice would ferment in these uh, new wine skins. they they would store the grape juice in these new wine skins. As the grape juice uh, aged and fermented, and as it became wine, new wine skins would would expand along with the new wine. The the, the new skins would be kind of elastic and would be uh, growing, able to grow. And so as the grape juice aged and fermented and became wine the new wineskins would expand along with the new wine. But if you, if you found some old used wineskin that was empty, you couldn't just watch it out and put new gra- grape juice in it. Because if you did, old wineskins were brittle. They would dry up after a while. <laughs> just like all leather. If you don't treat leather today, uh, it, will, it will dry up. You have to, you have to, you have to treat it. And so, if you uh, if you put new wine into old wine skins that that are that are old and brittle, as the wine fermented, as the grape juice fermented, uh, the wine skins, the old wine skins, would not be able to expand, and so ultimately they would break the old wine skins, and you would lose not uh, not only the old wine skins, but you would lose the wine that you stored into it. Now, Jesus was saying, if you try to put the new wine of what God is doing through me in the old structures of ritualistic Judaism of that day, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Now, Jesus came to fulfill the law, but it's not the same. We don't have to keep those old uh, ceremonies and laws uh, that they had to have. We don't have to sacrifice a sheep every Sunday when we come to worship. It won't work. Uh, but, and he also said, if you try to to, uh, to put the, uh, the new structure of what I'm doing uh, upon what God has done through John the Baptist, that won't work either because that was God's unique call for John. You see, God made us to follow him, to walk with him, to become more like Jesus continually in our character and to be on mission with God. But God placed us individually and collectively in a certain place and a certain time in history. (coughs) God did not place us in 1950 America, but in 2019 America. God did not place us in some small rural setting, but he placed us in this crazy town we live in called Madison, Wisconsin. That's where he has placed us. And that's where we are to be the people that he wants us to be we're to be the people here that he wants us to be Uh, it was not an accident that we are here it's his divine plan and there are specific ways that he wants to work through us, through you and me through us individually and collectively to bring about his uh, kingdom to to carry out his great commission he wants to use us here and now in specific ways to bear witness uh, to Jesus he has a specific calling for us as individuals and for us collectively as the East Madison Baptist Church. Um, you see, we don't have to be like High Point Church or Deer Creek Church or even New Beginnings Church. Those churches have good and valid ministries. I know those pastors, I know they reach people with the gospel, but that's, that's great and I'm Thank God for them, and thank God for every church that preaches the Word of God and, and preaches Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. But we can't be them. We can't have every ministry that Door Creek Church has. Becky was telling me this morning, she went to see her brother in Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, First Baptist Church Jacksonville puts on a huge pageant. They had 28,000 people on the nights that went through and saw this Easter pageant and this witness that they provide to the community we can't be First Baptist Church Jacksonville Florida that's not who God made us but there are things that God can do through you and I and through the ministry of East Madison that he won't do that he, that he, that he can't do through uh, through bigger churches I think I told you the story about when I was pastoring and I, I know I probably did because preachers tell the same stories all the time but it still works I told you the story about uh, we were pastoring in small, small town Iowa and uh, we had some young people that wanted to do the worship music on, uh, Sunday, on Sunday evening. And so we said, sure, you know, you can do it. And we let them do it. And you know what? They were terrible. They were terrible. And they had to learn how to get better and do this. But we were a small congregation. We weren't that huge, and we'd have less people on Sunday night. And so they could, they could try things out, they could grow, they could hone their skills, and they could get better and better and better. Now, a big church that had thousands of people there, they couldn't let a bunch of amateurs like the youth group put on uh, do the worship music on Sunday night. They couldn't do that. But we could do that. Because God worked through us in ways that... He couldn't work through anybody else. And I believe a lot of those kids are still serving the Lord. They're not all great musicians, but they're still serving the Lord somewhere because we gave them an opportunity to serve. You see, God can do things through us that he can't do through anybody else. You know, someone will come to a church our size that won't come to a church that has thousands and thousands of people. And there are people that will go to a church of thousands and thousands of people sometimes because they want to kind of be incognito. They don't want everybody to notice them and they like going in and kind of checking things out and not being noticed. And God can use them to reach people that we might not can reach. The point is we have to be who God wants us to be as individuals and as a church. We have to be who God wants us to be. Now that doesn't mean we want to never change. No. If we don't want to change and we don't want to grow and we don't want to reach people, we're not a church. If you don't want people to be saved, and you don't want people to come to know Jesus. You're not a church. You might be something else, but you're not a church. Yes, we want people to be saved. We should pray it. I pray for people to come to Christ through the ministry of East Madison Baptist Church. I pray that God will help us to be the effective witness that he wants us to be. But, but we, we can't be something we're not. We just have to be who we are. And there are some things that we can do, and there's some things that we can't do. And that's okay. Let's just be faithful to be who God wants us to be. We need to recognize God works through us in ways as individuals that are unique to his his plan for us. And God works through us as a church that are unique to, to what he wants to do. We can learn from others, and yes, we should learn from others. But let's remember that that... If we Just because we learn from others, that doesn't mean we are others. Right? God has made us unique people and a unique church seeking to carry out His great commission in our world in 2019. And I believe in the unique call of God. I believe that God wants to do something through us, through this wineskin, to reach the world, to carry out His Great Commission. You see, Bob Ray doesn't have to preach like Billy Graham. Bob Ray, filled with the Holy Spirit, can be used as Bob Ray. You, filled with God's Spirit, Holy Spirit can be used as you. East Madison, led by the Holy Spirit of God, can obediently carry out the Great Commission, and we can can fulfill the Great Commandment. We can live each other as Jesus has loved us, just like Donald prayed this morning. Yes, we can. Believers, we need to seek to allow God's Holy Spirit to lead us specifically and carry out His work that He has called us to do. Don't try to be what you're not. Be the person whom God has made you to be. Let's be the church That God has made us to be. And call people to follow the one who loves them more than they love themselves. Heavenly Father we praise you and we thank you that you are God. We thank you that that you made us as individuals and as a church to be what you want us to be. Lord we pray that you'd help us to reach people with the gospel, the good news of Jesus. That they would know, Jesus, that you love them. That you came to give your life so that their sins could be forgiven. That you rose again so they could have eternal life. And Father, I pray today that we would faithfully proclaim that message. And if anyone here has not responded to that message, I pray that today they would discover the one who loves them more than anyone else could. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to to seek your specific ways for our lives as individuals and for East Madison Baptist Church. Help us to be the people that you want us to be. Father, we pray that you through us would bring much glory to your name. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.